Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Bibles and open up to Genesis 25 with me. Genesis 25, first book of the Bible, and we've been walking through this for quite some time now, and this is officially the midpoint of Genesis. Genesis chapter 25, there's 50 chapters total in the book of Genesis, and uh, we're just going to take time and walk through this together, but um, we're actually, we're going to cover quite a bit today, and so uh, I'm going to encourage you, if you haven't already been following along with us in Genesis, to do so. Uh, read through these chapters, 25 through 27. If you haven't done that already, do that this week, okay? A great way for you to dive deeper into the text and uh, challenge our thinking in this. And uh, if you are just joining us, we're taking a little bit different approach to the book of Genesis and it's been that we've been panning back and taking a, a wide-angle view of this. Uh, you might ask, what does that mean? Well, we could spend a lot of time uh, going through every nit and detail in these pages, and we would be in Genesis for three years. But instead of doing that, what I'm challenging us to do is to step back and take a look and see uh, who has God revealed Himself to be in Scripture. And it's one of the first questions we should really be intent on asking if we read our Bibles is, who is God? And what does he say? Now, one of the things as I was preparing for today that I just more and more be, become concerned about is the pursuit of selfish boasting. And uh, for a moment here, I don't. I want you to re- hear something, church family. Uh, when when we think of selfishness or boasting, we often uh, think about the world around us, as we rightfully should. But I want you to understand that my my concern when it comes to this is rooted in this place, uh, in the church as a whole, uh, because we claim the name of Jesus. And you might go, well, Matt, what, what are you talking about when you talk about concern over boasting in self or selfish boasting? And what I mean by that is what has been created in a culture where we project everything we want everyone to think about us to everyone around us. And yet internally, it's often not how we really feel. It's a culture that's largely been created via social media. And don't think that this is a new thing, because social media really began in the early 2000s. This has been two decades in the making. And if we want to go even further back, there's resemblances of this in ages past, and we see these same tendencies in Scripture from thousands of years ago. And we can echo the words of Solomon, 
in Ecclesiastes where he says there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, We may feel that it's new because maybe we're experiencing it for the first time. And yet I want you to recognize that uh, as even 1 Corinthians 10 says, there's no temptation that is overtaking you that is not common to man. What does that mean? You are not facing a struggle today that someone else is not also facing and has faced. Now, you may look at that and go, well, that's kind of depressing. <laughs> you're telling me uh, there's nothing new and uh, not, ultimately you're saying nothing's really changed, right? In the midst of that, there's also great comfort knowing that in the struggles that you're facing today, you're not alone. Um, you're not walking through this alone. And yet, I want to challenge you to think about what are you boasting in? Is it your career? Is it your status? Is it your family? Is it your image? And I want you to contrast that. Boasting in whatever you put out there for everyone else to see. Or we want everyone else to think this way. I want you to contrast that with where you really are. And what I'm going to encourage you in today is ultimately to boast in the unfathomable grace of God. In His grace. To boast in the Lord. And we're going to unpack that a little more. Now, in Genesis 25, I'm going to kind of summarize what takes place in these first 18 verses. Uh, We're in the final sections of Abraham, who we've walked through so much of his life in the chapters preceding this. And Abraham now has, in the chapters just before this, has lost his wife Sarah. She, she's died. Uh, he purchased land where he could bury her. It's these family matters that uh, go back to his trust in the Lord's promises. And now we see at the beginning of chapter 25 that Abraham uh, remarries and uh, has other sons. And in fact, what you'll see as you go through this is that Abraham, as those sons are grown, he's, he, he gives them what is rightfully theirs and sends them away. And more specifically, in verse 5, you see that Abraham gave all he had to Isaac in You might go, why is that? Well, it's because God had promised to build this nation through Isaac, the son of Sarah. This was clear back in Genesis 12 that God made this promise. And we see it reaffirmed over and over again. And so Abraham continues to cling to this promise. He continued to allow his actions to declare and hold fast to what God had promised. Now, I want to pick up in verse 7. And read along with me. It says there, these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohor, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There, Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lahairoi. Now, in the final verses of chapter 25, what we actually see is Ishmael's 
lineage. Ishmael being the other son of Abraham here. And you might go, why is this included here in this narrative? And the reality is that it is to affirm once more that the Lord keeps his promises. To both Abraham in chapter 17, verse 20, when he promised Abraham that his son Ishmael would be taken care of. And to Hagar where we see God promise her in chapter 21, verse 18, that in Ishmael were 12 princes, he would be a nation. And moving forward, we're going to see the focus on the one the Lord promised to fulfill his covenant, Abraham, with Isaac, the life and family legacy of Isaac. But it would be foolish of us to pass by this without realizing this once again affirms God holds to what he has promised and challenges us in that to truly know what has the Lord promised and what hasn't he. Because too often we cling to things that we think God has promised to us, but he has not said anywhere that he promises that to us. And then we get angry with the Lord and we go, why, why aren't you doing this? And what we're really saying is, why aren't you doing what I want you to do? And those of you who have parents with young children, you will know that that is not how things work, right? Your kids come to you and say, why are you not doing the thing that I want you to do? Well, it's because that is not in your best interest, however much you may think it is. This is where faith intersects. God is faithful to his promise, to his promises. God is faithful to his promises. And we see this reaffirmed even in the lineage of Ishmael. And what do you know? If you count the sons of Ishmael, there are 12, just as the Lord had promised. Now, let's. Actually, we're uh, in the in the scope of this. Uh, what takes place after is uh, we see that Isaac and Rebecca are joined together, and she becomes pregnant with twins. There's something really interesting here is, in fact, verse 21 of chapter 25, if you look at that with me. It says, Then Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. I want you to pause for a moment and think about this. Because there's a contrast here between how Abraham responded when Sarah could not have children and how Isaac responds. And if I'm honest with you, uh, this, I sat with this for a long time this week and was convicted by this. <clears throat> because we don't see that Isaac here prayed to the Lord for himself. Uh, but he prayed for his wife. And you might go, well, what was the big deal here? Well, Rebecca was given a promise Clear back, even in chapter 2460, there was a promise declared over her that her offspring would be tens of thousands. Um, she more than likely heard the promise that had been passed down to Abraham and then to Isaac. And yet after they were married together, they go 
a long time without any children. And yet Isaac's response here in devotion to the Lord (laughs) is to pray for his wife. It says the Lord granted his prayer. Rebecca, his wife, conceived the children struggled within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Now, here's one of these passages of scriptures. Brothers, um, you and I have no ability to understand and shouldn't try to understand. Because here we have Rebecca honestly struggling with the reality that these twins, she is having, she's twin boys and they are wrestling around in her womb and she's going, this is awful. And it's not something that I can understand in fullness, nor can any of you other brothers, but many of you sisters in Christ can understand clearly The pain and anguish that Rebecca is experiencing here. And the Lord says to her, look at verse 23. Two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Now, I want you to take note here for a moment of this prophetic utterance that the Lord gives in verse 23. That the older shall serve the younger. Um, This was not the norm. This is not common. It was very common that the oldest would inherit what uh, blessing and inheritance would come of the people. Okay, The older would indeed rule and the younger would serve the older. But that is not what the Lord says. You're going to want to hang on to that for later in the narrative. So take note of that. Look at verse 24 of Chapter 25 says, when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. This is a first reported instance of a redhead being born. Okay, here you go. There's your little Bible trivia for the day. Afterward, verse 26, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Everyone say, oh no. Yeah. Though these twins, though twins, these brothers were very different. It's one of the miracles that God does. Is Have you ever noticed that? This is a side tangent. Have you ever noticed the, the incredible miracle of God's created human beings? And how different they all are? I revel in that with my three children. I go, they all came from the same place. They're so different. Beautifully different in their characters, their personalities, what they love, what they don't love. It's amazing, incredible. Here we have these two twin boys and they're so different. Esau is a wild man of the field. And Jacob is more of a quiet homebody. Unfortunately... These differences are exasperated by mom and dad, 
Isaac loved Esau. Rebekah loved Jacob. And we're going to see how not good this becomes. Look with me at verse 29, chapter 25. It says, once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob, sell me your birthright now. That's what Jacob said. And Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now this is ridiculous, okay? Honestly. So if you don't know what a birthright is, a birthright is that which we talked about briefly before where uh, Esau was given the birthright to inherit all the family had since he was the oldest. And he comes in and he smells Jacob making this stew and he's so hungry. In fact, he says there, I'm going to die. And all I can think of is a little child. I'm so hungry, I'm going to die. And what does he do? He sells his birthright. Who does this? But he's so... What, what this gives you, okay? It should give you a little piece into where Esau's heart is. Because Esau is so concerned about his own desires, and I want what I want, I want it now, that he foolishly makes a decision for a bowl of soup. To sell something that, in all reality, never shouldn't have even been on the table. And yet, when we read something like that, we should pause a moment and recognize just how prone you and I are to get so caught up in, in the moment, I want this and I want it now, so much so that I make foolish, fleshly decisions... And in so doing, give away blessing that I could have experienced. Now, in the grand scheme of this, the Lord has already, back to verse 23 of chapter 25, the Lord's already said, the older will serve the younger. The Lord recognized all of this would come to be before the boys were even born. Recognize where this falls, okay? This, this, this is where this falls in here that the Lord speaks this over them. But already we can begin to see glimpses of the messy dynamic of this family unit. Favorites in the home, manipulation, selfish ambition. What is the Lord going to do here? This is where chapter six be, 26 begins. And a famine starts. Now, this would, uh, this would no doubt have been a stressful time for the family. Imagine being out in the wilderness and a famine takes place. And now, uh, what do you do? Well, you try to travel to places and settle in places where there's going to be resources and food available. That, that logically makes sense. This is what we're going to do. <clears throat> so verse 2 of chapter 26, it says, um, well, Isaac has traveled to Gerar. The land of the Philistines, verse 2 of chapter 26 says, The Lord appeared to him and said, 
Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven. I will give your offspring all these lands and in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments my statues, and my laws. Isaac settles in the land of Gerar. That same place his father Abraham had settled in, in back in chapter 20. Okay, connect the dots there. And what do you know? Later, right, right, it, it, as he enters the land, okay, there's something to be said, families, about generational sin. That is, the mistakes that we make as families end up being repeated by later families. Um, what we see happen here, if you actually look at verse 7 of chapter 26, as Isaac is fleeing into this land to try and secure his family in the midst of a famine, and what does he do? When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. Oh, no. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? Who did this? Abraham, his dad, twice. He did it twice. He did it in Egypt and he did it in Gerar, the exact same place that Isaac is. And so he lies. He says, she's my sister, for he feared to say my wife, thinking less, again, the men of the place should kill me because of Rebecca, because she was attractive <clears throat> in appearance. Uh, there's a simple side note in this that we can learn. Uh, and it it be this, children, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Um, those of you who are children who are sitting amongst us and watching your parents, uh, your parents are going to make mistakes. They are going to sin, they're going to do wrong because they're human. In the same way you as children are going to make mistakes, you're going to do wrong because you are human. It is our responsibility to watch carefully how we walk and strive to walk in such a way that pleases the Lord. And that includes, if I see my parents walking in such a way that is not in alignment with God's word, that is something I should not repeat. And saying, well, mom and dad do it, is not a valid excuse. Okay? Parents, in the same way, we have a responsibility to watch carefully how we walk because we set the tone. Now, can the Lord break chains? Absolutely. Praise the Lord for that. But we have a responsibility to watch then how we walk, how we invest what are we boasting in as parents, as families, and how is, would I want my children pursuing this same thing? Because I am the standard and the example that my kids will watch. Parents recognize the patterns you establish today will be the building blocks of your children's future, whether good or bad. Now, Abimelech, in this chapter, he calls out Isaac, and he 
confronts Isaac about why has he done this? And then he actually blesses Isaac and he says, no one should touch this man or his wife. Don't do it. Um, As the chapter continues on, Isaac is actually very well off. And the Lord provides abundantly for him. So much so that the people of the land around become intimidated by his size. And they come out to Isaac and they say, well, we want to kind of make a a treaty with you because you could easily annihilate us. So we'll treat you well if you treat us well. It's kind of the summary of how this went. And in this, throughout 26... The reason that Isaac flourishes so much is another truth that we can sit with, and it's this. God is present with his people. And I just want to highlight the character of God. God's faithful to his promises. God's present with his people. If we look at 26 verse 3, it says, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. That's the Lord talking. He will bless you. Then if you look at verse 12. Of chapter 26, Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. Then if you look at verse 24 of chapter 26, it says, And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not. Why? For I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. Then we actually have recorded in chapter 26 where other people see that the Lord is with them. Verse 28, they said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. Verse 29, you will do us no harm just as we have not touched and you have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away. You are now the blessed of the Lord. God is present with his people. In verse 34, we continue to see the selfishness of Esau as he takes two wives for himself from the land of Canaan. And this was not only a rash move in light of family history, but it was also the cause of great bitterness for both Isaac and Rebekah. That's verse 35. It says they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Now, what takes place next? reveals the absolute depravity of everyone involved in this family unit. So let's look at chapter 27, starting in verse 1. We've kind of set the scene here. These two brothers that are at odds with each other. Favorites, Isaac and Rebecca have picked favorites. Verse 27, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, as such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now what we see here evidently, and this was reiterated back in the previous section, is that Isaac's reason for loving Esau so much was his wild game. Apparently, uh, Isaac indeed had the sixth love language in their family, which was food. Some of you have that same love language. I do. And in so doing, he's in fact 
not only physically struggles to see here, but even spiritually looks completely past what the Lord has said previously about the older serving the younger and just says, bring me the food that I so love selfishly and I will bless you. God had already stated what was to take place. And yet Isaac's requirement for receiving the blessing from him had nothing to do with maturity, spiritual health, his devotion to the Lord. Rather, it had to do with his favorite food. Not the will of the Lord, not the instruction of the Lord. His own idea, Isaac's own idea of what he wanted in the moment and in father-like fashion, Esau is happy to oblige. But Rebecca was listening. Oh, she was not about to let Esau take what she was determined in her own mind Jacob was due. She was not going to let that happen. One commentator eloquently points out that apparently Rebecca convinced herself that God needed her to help solve this dilemma. She too forgot or ignored God's declaration to her when she was pregnant. So now she would take matters into her own hands. Let's look at verse 6. It says, Rebecca said to her son, Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it. Bless and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock, bring to me two good goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father and eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob says to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. In other words, Esau had a beard and Jacob didn't. Not saying that's actually true, but it might have been. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, son, only obey my voice and go bring them to me. Listen to that last part. Obey my voice and go bring them to me. Jacob agrees. He gets dressed up. And we have to imagine he had to look absolutely ridiculous. Pause and think about this. They skinned the goat and they tied, however they tied the goat skin all over his body so that he felt hairy to his aging father who couldn't see him or even really hear him that well. And so you just picture this guy walking in, covered in goat skin. It had to be so uncomfortable. But he went right along with it. In the deception that took place. And in fact, Isaac blesses, or Isaac blesses Jacob in verse 27 and 29. He falls for their scheme and does just that. So Jacob leaves and guess who comes back? Here comes Esau. Oh boy. The truth is revealed. Isaac trembles in verse 34. And Esau screams. And Isaac declares what will happen to Esau in verses 39 through 40. Emphasizing what God had already emphasized would happen. 
What a mess. There's no one in this narrative that acts rightly. Right? There's no one here that we can look at and go, man, they actually sought the Lord and did this right. Instead, we see selfishness, manipulation, dishonesty, hatred, anger. And one would be wise to ask, is this really the people that are going to inherit the blessings of the Lord? Is this really who God's going to use to bring about his promises? And this brings us to really our final focal point of this. God is gracious beyond our comprehension. What God had promised to do, He promised to do not because they were somehow deserving of this, but because of His great love for His people. And it's easy to read narratives like this and go, God, what are you thinking? This family is an absolute wreck. There's no redemptive piece of this story. This, this narrative in this piece of this doesn't, <clears throat> doesn't end in a positive way. In fact, at the end of all of this, and what you'll see next week is that they actually out of fear that Esau is going to kill his brother Jacob... They send Jacob away. He's gone for 20 years. It, it completely fragments the family. The marriage is in pieces because one loves one son and one loves the other. The brothers can't get along in this section. There's animosity and hatred. What is this? God? Surely, surely of all the people in the world, God, you could have picked a better group of people to carry out your blessing and promises than this. After almost a decade of full-time ministry, I've clearly concluded something that you need to know. People are messy. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, you're messy. <laughs> it's true. I'm messy. No one's exempt from this. But listen to this, church family. I can't tell you the number of people that I've had conversations with who have shared with me the hurts done to them by people in their past. And I can't tell you how many people have concluded that because of the messiness of people, I will no longer attend church. I can't tell you the number of times I've been personally hurt by words, actions, apathy and attitudes of people. And if we are not careful, these things leave us in a very selfish way of thinking that sounds something like this. God, I completely understand why you have saved me, but I don't see how in the world you can use them. Everyone say, wrong. Wrong. Now, it may not sound directly like that, but we think it. And this is the very reason that Jesus taught 
that you should not look at the speck in your brother's eye when you have a log in your own. Yet the question remains for all of us, how in the world could God, could a holy God use any of us for his own good? How could God use these sinful, foolish people to bring about anything good? Because if we're honest and we look around, we go, there's a lot of messiness just in our own homes, in our own marriages, in our own jobs. And as you look across this room, as you walk out of this place today and you look at other people, you need to recognize something. It's just as messy in their lives as it is in yours. And we fool ourselves. And I go, yeah, because we're all walking around with trees in our eyes. Seriously. That's why Jesus in his wisdom said, stop trying to pull out every nitpicky little thing in other people's lives and start walking in obedience. Start being faithful. And stop using other people as an excuse for you to not do what God's calling you to do. Trust me. It's so much easier just to quit. And be done. That is not what God's called us to. And that's not how we experience the blessing of the Lord. How could God use messy people like us for anything? (laughs) I want to read this to you out of 1 Corinthians. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God, get this. Everyone say, but God. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Our salvation is based in nothing to do with who we are or what we have done. But in who Jesus is and what he has accomplished. This gift is a gift of grace. The meaning of grace is unmerited favor. It means you you haven't earned it. You don't deserve it. You will never measure up to the vastness of this gift, but you are called through it to a better way of living. You are called through it not to be conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. You are called through it to walk in the same way Jesus walked. And in so doing, boasting not in yourself or your own ability, but boasting in who? 
The Lord. Everyone say the Lord. To boast in the unfathomable grace of God. Who has chosen us with all of our imperfections. Who calls us out of the darkness and transforms us and matures us to be more like Jesus. Church family, we are not any better than Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau. We're not any better than them. Will we choose to follow the pattern of our sin or faithfully walk in obedience to the Lord? As I think about this church family, I'm burdened most of all by the temptation for us to become apathetic in our faith. And apathy, really all that is, is it's just the attitude that I don't really care. I don't care. And I could tell you, I would much rather have a conversation with someone who is adamantly opposed to Christ than someone who is deceived to their self into thinking they're okay. Because at least I know where they stand. <laughs> and in that moment, all I could do is share the hope of Christ that I've experienced, and I know many of you have experienced as well. Here is the thing. If you're waiting to get to a place where you deserve what God has given you in Jesus, you will never get there. Because none of us deserve it. If you're looking across the church building or thinking about someone in mind and thinking, how could God ever use them? Then you have misinterpreted the intention of grace. Because it's something you have not earned and you cannot earn no matter how much you work for it. Jesus came to give us life because we were dead in our sins and unable to come before God. And He is the only way. The only way to freedom, the only way to lasting joy and satisfaction in the midst of your struggles as you yearn and seek out to try and have other people reaffirm who you are, to post on social media or in your job to try and overachieve, to get affirmation. You're looking for that in the wrong place. And selfishly trying to build yourself up to a place of going, I deserve this, I deserve more. And Scripture says we deserve death. But in Christ, God has given us life. Praise God for His unfathomable grace given to us, not because we deserved it, but because He so loved the world. Will you choose to follow after the patterns of your flesh? Or will you choose to walk in the freedom and obedience? Father, as we sing this, these truths, may we hold fast to this, that we don't deserve this, that it's a gift that's been given to us in Jesus. Transform us by these truths, that we might walk in faithful obedience, not falling back to the patterns of our flesh, but recognizing in the mess of ourselves, Lord, you have redeemed us and given us new life through Jesus. It's in His name we pray this. Amen.